and welcome to the Caring Congregation podcast, where we seek to educate and equip pastors, congregational care ministers, or CCMs for short, and church laity to create a culture of care in the church and community. I'm Reverend Joy Dister Dominguez, your host and producer of this podcast. In season five, which we're currently in, we talk all about the intersection of care and social justice. Today's episode is part two of a two-part series all about persons who are incarcerated. We talk about why and how we should care and how redemption is possible. I continue my conversation with Brian Kelly, CEO of the Prison Entrepreneurship Program. In the first part of this episode, first part of the conversation, he shares his remarkable story from convicted felon to now CEO of a remarkable organization. I hope that you'll go back and listen if you didn't hear part one. The criminal justice system is built on systemic racism, impoverished, failing communities, broken educational systems, and many locations are for-profit prisons. It's remarkable how we have such a crisis in our community when we talk about um, the, the whole notion of, you know, lock them up and throw away the key. And yet, these persons are beloved children of God. So how do we care? How do we get involved? How do we uh, fight this systemic racism and um, those who are in the margins to truly see that God cares about them? There is life beyond bad choices. I hope that you'll take a listen. And then I hope that you'll share this episode with those who may need to hear it. Take a listen. So you have 10 driving values. Will you share with us what those are? Yeah, so we started out with just the entrepreneurship piece, the business piece. That was the attractive part. And we found out when we raised the flag of entrepreneurship, the inmate population comes running. Like I said, they can see themselves as a small business owner. But very early on, we recognized by the very fact that they're in prison, there's some character issues that we're going to need to deal with. Um, we as society need to know that they're trustworthy. As employers need to know that they're going to show up to work. They're, they're going to leave if they're, when they're supposed to. They're not going to uh, steal the place line. And, and uh, we need to know that we can count on them. So we, we recognize that early on. Um, and, and I'll tell you this too. So many people think it's just job skills that this population needs to turn it around. And job skills are needed. I'm not trying to discount that. But a lot of people go to prison with job skills. Nobody goes to prison with good character. So we needed to build that foundation. Uh, we instill things like integrity, accountability, wise stewardship, love, excellence, execution, things that these guys are going to need when they go into the workplace or, or when they start to run their business, uh, but also just in leading their family. So we constantly instill these 10 driving values, all of which are based on scripture. Now, we are not a faith-based, quote-unquote, organization. We like to think of ourselves as faith-driven. Um, the leadership team and I, our governing board and I, have all been changed by our faith, and we want to give back. We want to give hope and help and direction and, and purpose to the guys who want that. And, and I tend to think that uh, as they do that, and they continue to seek truth, they're going to find a bigger why. And that bigger why, to me, obviously, is Jesus Christ. 
Um, but I, I don't require a profession of faith. I don't uh, require uh, anything along those lines. I see this as faith caught, not necessarily taught. That's great. That's great. So one of the things that you, you have um, the participants of, and remind me what, what they're called uh, as far as um, people. We refer serve. to our guys as either participants or graduates once they okay. graduate on the inside. And then volunteers as executive volunteers, executive volunteers. So one of, one of the most um, impressionable um, exercises that I remember doing is um, imagine having for our listeners uh, a large room with a piece of tape down the middle. And we have our, the participants on one side of the tape and our executive volunteers on the other side against the walls. Okay. Tape down the middle. And then imagine, um, I think it was, I think it was you that, that, that says if, and you can probably, you remember these better than I can, but, um, so, so give me some that, that step to the line at the, at the very beginning, what you start with. Yeah, sure. So step to the line is one of our most powerful uh, engagement tools, uh, icebreakers. When we first bring executive volunteers in and we're bringing in super successful businessmen and women from the business community, sometimes that are numbering 60, 70, 80, uh, to meet with 100 plus inmates in the big room like you're talking about. And both sides are super scared and intimidated by the other side. Uh, and, you, you know, it might be natural to think that our business uh, leaders are intimidated by the inmates, but the inmates are intimidated by the bu business folks, too, right? <laughs> sure. For most of our guys, the only time they've been around a guy with a suit on is in the courtroom. And so we sure. need to overcome that us and them thing. So we do a, a, a series called Step the Line. I'll ask a series of questions. If it's true for you, you'll step to line and meet somebody from the other side who have things in common you know do you have siblings are you from the state are you from different places and i start out very benign but i'll lead up to questions like have you ever had two or more drinks and driven a car and a, a substantial number of our volunteers will step up and say yeah i have and mm -hmm. and i'll point out you know but for the grace of god you could be on the other side of the line right now absolutely have you ever used illegal drugs? Have you ever struck someone in anger and you know, mm -hmm. various things like that? And I think the whole room gets the sense that, hey, you know, we have all encountered failure. We have mm -hmm. all made mistakes. Mm -hmm. uh, we are all relying upon the grace of God. And sure. all of a sudden, we just see each other as humanity. Typically, the last question I'll ask, and, and I, I don't even like to find out what the answer is beforehand, is I'll ask the, uh, the, our participants, how many of you have never had a visit since you've been in prison? And typically, about 15 to 20% will raise their hand. And the gravity of the situation always comes home on its own when the, our volunteers will recognize, oh, my gosh. I'm here to visit them today. I'm here to listen to them and invest in them and help them think through issues. And so mm -hmm. it's just a super touching moment. It really is. Yeah. I know. I, I definitely had a few tears um, because you're right. We've all made mistakes. Um, one thing that was really striking to me in that exercise, and I think I've done it a couple of times um, in my visits there um, is the systemic poverty the systemic racism, um, the injustice of uh, generational uh, trauma. And 
that was to me, one of the biggest differences. And I wonder if you can speak to the way in which that is addressed that, that you talk about that, um, with, with the participants. You know, prisons are probably the most racially divided and segregated uh, piece of our society. And most, uh, you know, Americans don't know that because they've never been on the inside, but you don't sit in a day room anywhere you want to. You sit according to your race and there is huge racial uh, tension and violence and things going on. And we really flip that on its head. Uh, we teach the guys to come together, that we're all in this together. We've all had struggles in the past. Even our executive volunteers have had struggles in the past. One of the uh, other questions I ask uh, during Step the Line is, have you ever felt like a failure? And isn't that true for all of us? Yeah. And, and so we start coming together, but we also teach the guys accountability. Now think about this, in an environment prison where snitches get stitches, and that's exactly what the guys say on the inside. Sure. We're teaching them to hold their brother accountable and, and elevate them and call them to a higher plane. And we teach them about conflict resolution and how to lovingly confront and lift up and edify. And it's just revolutionary. And it's the friendships that bond are across racial lines are amazing. And we do pray outs when a guy's going home, his closest Brothers will stand up and talk about him, his strengths, his weaknesses, what to look out for, how he's blessed them. And, and black will be crying for white and white will be uh, crying for black and brown. And, and it's just amazing to see in the end, we're all human beings and we need a place to belong. We need a community. We need our tribe. And they've found one that they uh, can be themselves in with greater hope and greater passion and purpose and feel like they have a sense of belonging. Um, you know, in prisons, um, uh, uh, Black uh, Americans are disproportionately represented in prisons. Uh, in Texas, it's about a third Black, Brown, and White. And that's exactly who's in our, our program. We don't systematically choose for that. I'm just looking for guys who are committed to change. It just ends up that way all the time. God's at work. And so we, we learn to come together across racial boundaries and realize, hey, we're in this together. Let's do it together. Let's hold each other accountable and demonstrate love and hope and purpose. Absolutely. Absolutely. So several years ago, um, when I was able to, to uh, participate in many consecutive months in a row. Um, I traveled with these guys through their journey. And at the end, you have a graduation. And I remember um, it was the visit, but right before graduation, it was like the month before. And I remember talking to some of the guys and I asked, you know, what are you most looking forward to? And the stories of their family, seeing them at graduation, seeing them accomplish something, um, one, I remember one gentleman, he hadn't seen his, he, I, I think it was like six or seven years. He hadn't seen uh, one of his kids and another gentleman, he was like, well, I hope my wife will come. Like I, they're working through their own forgiveness um, and, and, and just hoping and praying that she was going to be there to support him and see that he has changed. And then to arrive to graduation day and the, the pride, I have goosebumps just talking about it, like the pride and the accomplishment and this reconciliation with families, it is 
holy. It is holy space. Uh, that's the only way I can describe it. It is beautiful. It is so beautiful. And then the other thing that, that you guys arrange is for those guys, you know, um, which guys are not going to have family members there. Then you ask the executive volunteers if, if they would, if we would step in to be like their family that day to cheer for them, to go up and hang out with them afterwards and have, I think we had cookies and punch and stuff like that. And, um, those are just so special. Those are so special. What, what's your impression of graduation? You know, our graduation ceremony, when we invite the families, the, the moms, the dads, the wives, the kiddos, and our executive volunteers, and we have a celebration because the guys have really done some amazingly hard work, and sure. there is cause for new hope. Now, I want you to think about this for the family's perspective. There has probably been dashed hopes multiple times, and so we've got some family liaisons who reach out and and that, and typically early on in the conversation, the family is like, yeah, 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 we've been through this again. We're like, no, this is something special. This is different. You're going to see your loved one is different. And so at the end, we have them do a few things. We have them give some gifts to the family. But one of the things we, we stress with them is, I want you to go present yourself as a brand new man, but do not make a promise. We have broken promises mm -hmm. to our families all of our lives. And so I want you to go just show that you're somebody different and, and the families see it and I get to see it. And it's like, everybody comes alive during that, that, uh, that graduation ceremony. And sometimes it's the, it's the linchpin that really pivots a guy and everything is like, okay, it is real. Now think about it. this is a population that don't have very many wins under their belt in life. And now they've done college work with supplemental graduate school uh, case studies and we have really put them in the crucible and, and put some pressure on them and they have performed and they now realize they can do much more than they thought they could. And they're surrounded by a new mindset, a new peer group, a new community of volunteers who will help them think through things. There is new hope on the horizons. The, the families recognize it. You, it's palpable in the in the couch of a hopeless prison, it's like hope is beaming out and everybody in there feels it. Oh, it is. It's so special. It's so special. So I want to pick your brain on um, what do you think society, if they've never um, served in a prison, either with Kairos or something, either with PEP or something like PEP. And, and, and to be honest, there's nothing that I found that's out there like PEP. Uh, that's the, the caliber of PEP. What's the biggest misconception that society has about those who are incarcerated? You know, I, we've heard this probably all of our lives, uh, the old adage of lock them up and throw away the key. And uh, for, and, and I understand that. And, and we as ex-felons have done a disservice because we have, we've created that sentiment by our poor behaviors in the past. Um, and, and so I want everybody to realize, hey, these are just human beings. They have hopes and dreams. They want to do something different. I mentioned this earlier. It's, uh, the majority of the people desperately want to turn their lives around, but they need some help doing it. Mm 
They need some help from people who have made right choices, who have weathered some storms, who have demonstrated character in tough times and can teach somebody else how to do that. Those are the most important things. And, and faith always, you know, plays a big role in that. And so if, if we who have the answers don't go give the answers to the people who desperately need them, then we get what we get too. We deserve what we get. And so uh, it's amazing to me. I think we bring in a caliber of volunteer to help the guys think through their own personal issues that they've never encountered before. And, and it really makes a big difference. And when somebody successful goes into prison multiple times, especially, and continues to pat them on the back and say, you can do it. I've had failure too. You can do it. I promise you they begin to believe over time. And then, then there's new hope and then there's new drive and there's new tool belt that PP gives them and, and there's new community. And it's amazing the things that can happen there. I've got so many shining examples of guys who have gotten out and are just stellar. I want you to think about this. I mean, it's fiscally responsible for all of us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If we take somebody who's costing the taxpayer $30,000 a year to incarcerate, and that's just on average, and we get that guy out and he doesn't go back to prison and he starts to contribute in society, either as a business owner or, or as what we call an entrepreneur going to work for somebody else. And he's making only $30,000 a year. That's a $60,000 a year swing on the tax base. It's fiscally mm -hmm. responsible mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. us to get the guys out and being contributing to the tax base instead of being a burden. And so we found that, you know, not only are our guys getting out and leading their family with a newfound uh, set of values and morals, uh, but they're really contributing. They're getting great jobs. They're moving up uh, into management. They're launching their own business. They're contributing to society. That's when the dominoes fall. That's when the tipping comes in as we can take these guys out and turn them into contributors in our society. Yes. Absolutely. Mm, that's amazing. So a scripture that comes to mind is Matthew 25, uh, when Jesus is telling this parable of what does the kingdom of God look like? And um, one of the, well, one part of it is um, when you visit the sick or those who are in prison uh, and all that is done um, and, and done for the, for the least of these, you're doing it for me. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but Matthew 25, I think around 36. And, um, I think what is so special is this incredible, um, bond of, so as an executive volunteer coming to prison, you think I'm able to bring my skills. And one thing that I think I, I want to point out to people is it doesn't matter if you are an executive vice president of a really large company, or if you um, are a stay-at-home mom, you have skills because you're a consumer, right? So even just listening to people's stories and listening to people's ideas, you could say, well, what about this? And what about that? And, you know, I could, I could use this product or I could use this service, but have you thought of this? And, um, it's amazing, even all the all of the 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 coaching and the guidance that we as executive volunteers can bring to the guys. I'll tell you what, you leave so even more so filled up, and that is such that again, it's it's holy space because it's 
it's the light of Christ that I'm bringing, but it's the light of Christ that are in each person that I also see reflected. Um, Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, I share that. um, I share the Matthew 25 quite a bit, uh, Joy, and and typically to our volunteers of you know Jesus did say to when you've done this to the least of these and and I I don't think anybody can go into prison and recognize how that really comes to life and and one of the scriptures that I've been kind of pondering on a lot lately is Second Corinthians four uh, treasures and jars of clay right and what I've recognized is there is an untapped undeveloped talent pool in prison. And they're like these gems, the yes. jewels, these treasures and jars of clay. If you look at them, it's this mundane, you know, trivial, broken, uh, golly, it's a, it's it represents toil uh, and crime and dirtiness. And, and you're just looking at that. But if you take the time to go in and open up that jar, you find just these sparkling diamonds, rubies, emeralds on the inside, just waiting to be polished and buffed up. And that's what I think our executive volunteers do. That's what my staff does. And and there are so many treasures that just come forth. It's amazing when you take the time to really invest in a human being and, and, and turn them into more than they ever thought they could be. When you invest in the least of these, uh, God turns that into a harvest of wonderful fruit, and, and I just love it. I, I, let me—I'll point this thing out, and it's kind of missed in my explanation. I've got a staff of about thirty people, Joy, um, that are, are centered in Dallas and Houston. Um, of those 30, about 75% are ex-felons. And so there are some great examples of treasures that I've pulled out of jars of clay who are giving back and, and, and helping those coming behind them to really turn their lives around and, and get out and produce and lead and, and find abundant life out here, right? Mm-hmm. And they're, yeah. they're no longer just trying to survive. They are living abundant life. Yes. Amen. John 10, 10, I come come that you may have life and have it abundantly, but I'm, but I truly believe, yes, it is for those who have been rehabilitated, but it is also for us who care. My abundant life comes from service comes from pouring in. Um, I recognize I am a privileged person And what I have to offer is so great because together um, we can, um, we can, we can bring the kingdom of God here on earth. Um, And, and that's really, it's hard to get away from that language of us, them, because it's, it's us. I mean, it's all of us. Right. And I think we talked about this earlier, a little bit about the language and you mentioned that, and this kind of struck me that Texas refers to, um, this population as offenders. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about what that means and that stigma that, that carries with them for their life. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So I did, you know, more than a couple of decades in prison. When I first went in, they referred to the inmate population as convicts, and then they switched it to inmate, and then they switched it to offender. And it is, uh, it's commonplace every day as you're walking up and down the halls in Mm -hmm. prison. Um, There's lines that you have to walk on the right-hand side of. They're trying to have order in the Mm -hmm. hallway, and guards every day are screaming up and down the hallways, 
get off that head running offender and you know, get out of the middle of my hallway offender. And their guys are getting screamed at every day. And that, that label of offender is just getting reinforced constantly for years, sometimes decades. And so, you know, I think we need to be really careful about how we're labeling people and that can sure. be internalized or, or mm-hmm. at least cause a, you know, a cancer on the inside of rebellion against that and, and a hatred towards authority and, and, and the justice system and, you know, uh, as a whole, and, and so, golly, we need to recognize that, you know, back to your earlier point of Matthew 25, these are children of God. They are made in God's image. Now, they have made some terrible mistakes, and we need to own that and help them move past that. But they are still children of God, and we need to recognize their potential and how much God loves them, Right. And, and if we don't do that, if, if it's too easy to label them offender, put them off to the side, you know, I've, I've brought up this point several times. If, if the definition of offender is somebody who has caused offense and somebody else, who of us are not mm-hmm. an offender, right? Mm-hmm. Truth. And so I don't want to be going around being labeled that, called that all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just think we need to be sensitive uh, about recognizing uh, who these people are. Now, the, the statistical fact is 95% of the people who go to prison will one day come home. They're going to be around us. In fact, they are around us. They're going to the same gas stations, grocery stores, churches, you know, uh, schools around us. And so look, uh, you know, what's that old adage? I've met the enemy and he is me. Mm, they sure. are us. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned um, before we started recording um, that you are asked the question sometimes, is everybody redeemable? You know, I love that question. And I think it's a really a deep dive look. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, a lot of people have talked about defund the police, defund prisons. If we didn't have any prisons, you know, what would that look like? Look, here's the deal. Um, do we need to rethink our incarceration rates and, and policies and stuff? Yes, absolutely. No doubt. I, I am for that. We need to get smart on crime, not just hard on crime. However, there are some people that I think we need to protect society from. And I get that. Um, they asked me that question. Is everybody redeemable? To me, the answer is yes, unequivocally. However, not everybody's ready. And, and so our job could be help them get ready mm-hmm. uh, to mm-hmm. be in place. Now, some sure. guys have, have committed some crimes and we need, you know, I, I don't even disagree um, with, you know, life without parole. Uh, there, there's consequences and, and mm-hmm. we, we teach consequences in, mm-hmm. in PEP. That you've got to own what happened. And you've got to pay, you know, uh, what society said is the penalty for that, but own it and demonstrate that you moved forward from that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, uh, we want to work with the guys who are uh, sick and tired of being sick and tired, want to do something different, and they just need a little bit of help doing that. And I think there's quite a few of those on the inside. And I love seeing that transformation of taking somebody who's stuck in that cycle of poverty and crime and turning into a real producer in our community, a Mm -hmm. leader in his family. Um, Mm -hmm. What an amazing uh, transformation you get to see right before your very eyes. Absolutely. Absolutely. If there was a participant here or a couple participants here on this call right now, 
what would they want us to know? What would they say? Yeah, I, I think they they would want you to know they realize they've made mistakes. They're just looking for a chance. Mm-hmm. And, and it feels like society has uh, uh, mounted up all these obstacles to reentry and getting back on your feet. And, and, and I think they would just uh, they would look at you and say, give me a fighting chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not even saying a special chance. I'm just a fighting chance uh, to get a job to uh, to, you know, uh, increase my earning potential to lead my family to to do right. Um, I think the majority of them would say, "Help me have a, a legitimate chance at starting over." Mm-hmm. So you mentioned there are about a hundred prisons in Texas, mm-hmm. and if I remember correctly, <laughs> there is a postcard that are that's sent out. Is that still the case to every person? Correct. So we're inviting uh, potential participants, applicants to PEP if they're within three years of going home. Mm -hmm. They haven't been in a lot of trouble recently. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's some other uh, criteria that, that, you know, they wouldn't be able to come to our program. Like if if they've got any chronic medical issues or mental health issues or stuff like that. Uh, We don't currently take sex offenders because they're going to have mandatory programming that would supersede ours. But uh, we're looking for people within three years of going home who are are ready to do something different in their life, whatever that means. I'm not looking for educational level, previous business experience, anything like that. Uh, Matter of fact, about 55% of our guys will either have or be working on their GED. Uh, I'm just looking for guys who, who want to do something different, uh, who have a passion and, and who uh, have the willingness to become coachable. I don't think they're all coachable to start, but they have a willingness to become coachable. Sure. Texas obviously is a big state, but more than likely our listeners have prisons perhaps in their communities. Mm-hmm. And if there is a ministry uh, outreach into those prisons, I, I for instance, the church I currently serve, I know our, we participate with Kairos, but getting the word out that this could be a possibility. I think that is an excellent start. Um, how else can people um, learn more about what's happening in their states, in their countries, about prison? How can they get involved with prison reform and justice work for, for those incarcerated? Yeah, there's multiple avenues, and um, and I think there's a lot of great prison ministries, Kairos, Bridges to Life, you know, uh, Prison Fellowship, and and so if there if you know there's a prison near you, you can typically Google it and it'll, it'll look up on the facing page and it'll tell you what kind of programming is going on in there and what kind of groups are going inside. You can always check if you're going to a church, you can kind of dive in and ask them what are you doing along prison ministry lines. That's uh, well, I went to my new church down here in Houston. That was the first question I went and gave to the uh, the head pastor and said, hey, do you guys have an appetite? Or are you currently doing anything for prison ministry? And he la- looked at me and said, why are you asking me that? And I said, well, because that's what I do. And that's a passion uh, that I have. And, and so I'm super involved with them. We're kind of inviting them into PEP and we're thinking through some things. But there's a lot of, um, uh, of ways to get involved, sometimes even with the county jails, um, Bible studies or just encouragement. Uh, there's some other people who are already already doing things well, like us, like uh, the ones I've mentioned. 
uh, you can chime in with them or uh, sometimes maybe, maybe God's calling you to just lean in one-to-one and, and, and do that. Um, you know, it's got to the point, Joy, where I've seen some uh, statistics that one in three adult Americans has something on their criminal record uh, if we're including down to misdemeanors. One in three. And uh, about one in 17 has a felony on their record at, at some point. And so, uh, you know, we probably know some people in prison and maybe that's sure. a way to, to start out as we have that personal connection and just lean in there and, and, and try to help where we can. So I will link PEP's website, uh, pep.org. And I challenge our listeners to log on. It's a fantastic website, by the way. Great pictures, great videos. There's also at the very top, a place that says take action. If you click on that, I challenge our listeners to donate or become a, a, a year-round supporter by giving monthly, um, forego that cup of coffee even, and, uh, and donate monthly for this transformational organization. This is, I can't say enough good things. The work you do is truly, it's incredible. It's holy. It's, it's honorable work with, with regard to transforming communities, transforming lives, bringing the kingdom of God here on earth. And, and truly working for social justice. Um, and that's, that's remarkable. So I'm so grateful, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, uh, Joy. You are a joy, by the way. I've seen <laughs> you bring joy to the guys on the inside. Matter of fact, you look great in prison. I know you've never spent the night, uh, but I would love to get you back inside. Uh, yes, I'm coming back. I'm going to bring more with me. Okay, bring, awesome. I I, it is always fun um, to, uh, you know, to tell your friends, I'm going to prison tomorrow. And they're like, what? And I'm like, no, no, come with me. Come with me to prison. It brings me joy to meet these men who are respectful and just hungry to learn and um, so appreciative. The time goes so fast. It's, it's so much fun. And during COVID, of course, you've been on my, on my heart in a, in a big way because I can only imagine just the difficulty these last few years have been. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back. <laughs> well, it's so much fun. I, and I love it. And, and I'll tell you that it is an opportunity for even uh, uh, ladies to come in and minister mm-hmm. to these men uh, typically about yeah. 25 or 30% of our volunteers who come in uh, as a group are, are uh, female. And I think the guys need to learn how to interact uh, with sure. a, uh, you know, professional female and, mm-hmm. and, and how to have, um, you know, positive conversations. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I took in a group of about 70 TCU students one time and, and there was a little cluster of young ladies that were in the back of the line as we were coming into the, the PEP room. And Joy, as you know, it's loud, it's raucous, people are yelling, music's playing, it's fun, lights yeah. are flashing, there's a tunnel of love that you enter into. Yeah. And, and uh, before we got there, before you could see what's happening, the young ladies looked at me and they were kind of huddled up and scared to death. <laughs> said, what's that noise? And I said, oh, it's probably just a riot. You're going to be fine. Oh, gosh. <laughs> By the end of the day, they were high-fiving inmates and just having a blast. And I know for the next two weeks, they couldn't help themselves to talk about the experience that they had. Yes, yes. It is so positive and energetic and exciting. And 
um, it's just, it's powerful. It's hard to describe. And, um, <laughs> it's, it's just awesome. It's a, it's a great experience. And I think just having fun together is that great equalizer. You know, it, it breaks down the walls of the tension and the, you know, you're looking at me, I'm looking at you. And it's like, you know, it just kind of breaks that, that down a bit. And, uh, so, yeah, but I, I appreciate that you say, I remember, I, th I think I want to say it was about it's probably about five or six years ago. And you said something like for some of these men, and you were talking to me, you're like, some of these men joy, like they've never had a conversation with a professional female before. Right. Like right. they've just, they're learning how to have a conversation with women. Yes. Um, and so I think that's important that, that women are serving in this capacity. Well, and for your listeners, uh, there's an opportunity. We uh, we provide our program at a prison unit just south of the Metroplex, actually, out by Midlothian in Venus, Texas. Mm -hmm. And we've got some opportunities coming up to serve. And so if you're interested in that, you can go to our website. It's pep.org. And uh, or you can send an, in, uh, an email to info at pep.org. Fantastic. I'll link all of that. Also with the video, you have a great video on your website. I'll link that as well. I hope people will check it out. So Brian, God bless you. Thank you so much for all you do. Thank you very much. It's a, it's an honor. It's an honor to be on your show and yes. it's an honor to be used by uh, almighty God. Amen. joining us for today's episode, please check out the Prison Entrepreneurship Program at pep.org. Or there are additional resources and information on our website, thecaringcongregation.com. And then join us next week as we have a brand new episode launching on Tuesday, every Tuesday, brand new episode, as we continue this series, The Intersection of Care and Social Justice. Now this last weekend, we hosted an online webinar for 38 persons looking to start or expand their care ministry. It was a fantastic opportunity to gather together as the body of Christ and learn all about care in the local church and community. If you missed us, there is a fall webinar, October 14th and 15th of 2022, and all that registration information is available on our website, thecaringcongregation.com. We hope that you'll share this podcast, rate it, give us a comment. Um, it helps other people with the algorithm to find us. And we hope that you'll tune in next week as we continue these conversations. Until then, my God bless you and keep you.